You can grab your Bibles, if you have one, and open up to the book of Revelation, chapter five. Well, some of you may be wondering why in the world we're turning to Revelation chapter five on Good Friday. It is a little bit of an unconventional passage to speak about the death of Jesus Christ, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, but I pray that it will be actually very instructive and helpful for our souls as we read this passage and are brought into one of the dominant themes in all of Scripture. In Revelation chapter 5, we're actually transported into a heavenly scene, into an, an actual heavenly vision that God gave to the Apostle John. John is on the island of Patmos and He's worshiping the Lord and the spirit of God sweeps him up into this divine heavenly vision where he is now standing in the presence of almighty God. And the book of Revelation, it unfolds for us a message to the church, but it unfolds for us the message of God's plan for the rest of human history. And so this morning, I want us to get a glimpse of chapter 5 and the divine vision that John received. And I'm going to read the entire chapter, chapter 5, verse 1 through 14. And then I want to draw out the theme from there that we're going to look at for the remainder of our time together. Let's read God's word together. John writes in verse 1, Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who is seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. It's such a powerful scene taking place in heaven. 
And it's so fascinating to kind of just get a glimpse. We don't have time to dig into all the details. So I'm going to fly by a lot of this and then kind of pull a theme out and trace it through the Word of God. But the context of this passage is so fascinating. Here we have the Apostle John. He's in heaven, standing before God himself, the one who is seated on the throne. And there is a scroll that is sealed in front of him. And he understands that the scroll is intended to be opened, and yet when a search is done for someone who is worthy to open the scroll, they look in heaven and on earth, and there's nobody that can be found who is worthy to open the scroll. And John actually begins to weep loudly. He is emotionally destroyed by the thought of the scroll not being opened, by its contents not being revealed and unfolded. And you say, why? Why in the world is John weeping over what seems like to be such a trivial issue? If you understand what the scroll signifies, you understand the tragedy that John experiences in his soul at the scroll not being opened. The scroll represents the remainder of the contents in this entire book, all that God will do to bring about the consummation of human history, all that God has planned to do from the beginning of time to make everything right. You see, John understood that this world was broken by sin. It was destroyed and infected, and everything was in chaos and unraveling, and John knew what God had promised to do. He knew that God said that one day he would come and make all things new again. He would take this broken world with all of the sin and all of the wreckage and tragedy and pain that it has caused, and he would redeem it all. He would set everything right, and there would be a day when perfect righteousness would rule the earth once more. And as he sees this scroll that cannot be opened by anybody because nobody is worthy, for a moment, though he knows, though he knows that God's plan is set, that he knows God's plan will not fail for a moment, it appears to him, at least emotionally, that God's plan is not going to come to fruition. But as he weeps, a strong angel comes to him in verse six and tells him to stop weeping. Verse five, excuse me. One of the elders says, weep no more. Behold, he says, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. There is one who is worthy enough. There is one who is strong enough. There is one who is righteous enough. There is one who is conquered but then interestingly, in verse 6, it shifts the imagery. You expect that John is going to be looking at a lion, a conquering, strong lion. And instead, in verse 6, we see that he looks, as the verse says, look at it with me, at a lamb who is standing as though it had been slain. This doesn't seem to fit. And yet, what we will see this morning is that it fits exactly the way it's supposed to. He looks for the lion, and instead he sees the slain lamb. And then the remainder of this passage, as we've read it already, it begins to emphasize not the lion, but the lamb. Over and over again in this passage, the word the lamb is repeated in reference to Jesus. In verse 8, it says that they fell down before the lamb. 
In verse 9, it says that they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. And again, the imagery of the slain lamb. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. And perhaps most familiar, if you've been in the church for any length of time, is verse 12. They sang with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And you see, what's so fascinating about this picture is what we understand about the worship in heaven. Do you see in this passage that at the center of all worship in heaven is this picture of the slain lamb? That the center of worship and the center of heaven is a lamb who is slain to ransom people unto God. So why is that the picture? Because the death of the lamb was the plan of God to defeat sin. It was God's plan of overcoming sin, of ultimate victory over sin. And ultimately what we see in this passage is that the slain lamb is the picture of the hope of the world. This is the hope that people can be saved from their sin and reconciled to God. This is the hope that the entire universe can one day be reconciled to God. The language here in the book of Revelation is rich with vivid Old Testament imagery. That word lamb that's used in this passage actually is used 28 times in the book of Revelation to refer to Jesus Christ. 28 times we see Jesus referred to as the lamb, the lamb, the lamb, the lamb. And the theme of the lamb is a rich one in the grand redemptive storyline of the Bible. All throughout the Bible, we see references to lambs that are slain. In fact, you cannot properly understand today, Good Friday, the death of Jesus Christ, without understanding the slain lamb imagery. The most important celebration on the Jewish calendar was the Passover meal. The Passover was the most important event in the history of God's people. The meal itself, a, a, a memorial, a reflection upon the event that took place. You've probably heard this story before, but let me remind you of some of the details. The Israelites were enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. They were in bondage, and the yoke of slavery was heavy. They were subservient to a vicious taskmaster in Pharaoh. So God, in his grace and kindness, heard the cries of the Israelites, and he sent his servant Moses to go and speak to Pharaoh on behalf of him. And you know the story, Moses stood before Pharaoh, and he declared, let my people go, let my people go, let my people go. And Pharaoh would willingly say yes, and then all of a sudden change his mind. God, through Moses, sent ten plagues on the land in Egypt all of them intending to demonstrate God's power, that God is not to be trifled with, that God is the one who is sovereign and in control and that Pharaoh must obey. Nine times this ultimately did not work. Pharaoh hardened his heart against the Lord and so God brought a 10th plague, a plague so devastating that surely it would change the heart and mind of Pharaoh. Surely it would break him to pieces. The final plague God sent an angel of death in the darkness of night. And the angel of death would take the life of each firstborn child. But there was a way that God had provided his people to escape 
the wrath of God, to escape a just punishment, to escape death itself. And in Exodus chapter 12, God lays out a plan for the people of Israel so that they would be spared this wrath. And I just want to read to you some portions of of Exodus chapter 12. They'll be on the screen behind me. Here's what he commanded his people as they lived in Egypt. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. And you may take it from the sheep or from the goats and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. He said, you gotta go and find, each of your families has to find a lamb, an unblemished, a perfect spotless lamb. The picture of purity, the picture of innocence, the picture of holiness, and you take that into your home and at twilight, every family takes that lamb and slays the lamb. Leviticus 19 says that the the life is in the blood. The, The picture of life being drained, of something being sacrificed. And then he says this, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house in which they eat it. He says, take that blood from the lamb, catch it in a basin, take it and and paint it over the doorpost and and above your head. You can see the imagery of being sheltered by the blood itself, uh, that being the very thing that covers or protects you. He says, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, listen to these words, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you. And when I strike the land of Egypt, this day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statue forever you shall keep it as a feast. God never wanted his people to forget how he had passed over their sins. How he had so mercifully and graciously spared them judgment. The picture here is powerful. Take this blood, paint it, let it be a covering for you. In the imagery, in the exercise, the ritual itself, listen, it was not lost on the Jewish people. They, they understood something significant was happening. They understood the meaning behind it. They knew that something perfect, something innocent had to die in their place so that they could live because they knew that they were not innocent, they were not perfect, they had spots and blemishes. And with the Passover, generally there's there's two things that are being emphasized, two main themes that we, we see being communicated over and over through the celebration of the Passover meal and the actual event of the Passover. The first one is this, that God is communicating for his people the rescue from death. The second is this, that there is deliverance from slavery. God has kind of wrapped up this picture in the the redemption story in the Passover of a deliverance from death, a rescue from death, and a deliverance from slavery. And you see the blood of the lamb was God's ordained means of preserving his people from death. You say, why didn't God just pass over without a sacrifice? Why did God need a sacrifice to be able to pass over and not condemn or not judge his people? The simplest answer is because of his justice. 
It's because of who God is. God in and of himself, his character is a holy God. He is without sin. He is perfect in every way. He is pure, unstained by the corruption of sin. God cannot dwell in the presence of sin. And, and we would see this and say, well, well, then why can't God just pass away? Because if God is so holy and perfect, you would expect somebody who's holy and perfect to actually judge sin properly. We call that justice. If God does not punish sin, he is not a just God, and therefore he is not worthy of us following him or serving him. But he is just. He has to be. It's part of his nature and his character to pay back sin what it is worth. You see, death is actually just a tragic consequence of sin. Death was not always supposed to be. Death is a byproduct of the first man and woman's sin against God. Paul says it like this, for the wages of sin is death. You see, God's forgiveness can't be seen apart from his justice. True forgiveness cannot occur by simply sweeping sin under a rug, but instead only by paying its full price. God had made this clear in the Passover. And you know what? This speaks to each one of us this morning. Because every one of us suffers from sin. Every one of us is awaiting the day of our own death. But the hope that's given in this passage to God's people is that there can be a rescue from death that God has provided a way. There can be a deliverance from slavery. Some of us in here have walked in this door struggling and suffering from bondage to sin. Specific sins, yes, but broader than that. Just sin in general. Sin owns us. It rules us. It drives us. And without us even realizing it, so often it is a vicious taskmaster that simply destroys us. God had driven in the necessity of a perfect substitute elsewhere. God had actually given them a sacrificial system it was a constant reminder of sin's penalty, but also of God's forgiveness and grace. You see, after God led his people out of Egypt, after the Passover event, he brought them to Sinai, out in the, the wilderness, where God spoke to Moses on the mountain. He gave him the Ten Commandments, and he gave him all of the other commandments. All of the laws of God were intended to help the people of God continue to live in constant relationship with God. God, by his grace, had saved them, and then he, he had given them the way to continue to live and enjoy his presence through obedience to his law. And in giving them the law, he realized that none of them could keep it perfectly. And that there was a constant need for payment of sin so that God conti could continue to dwell amongst his people. So he gave them this sacrificial system where they were constantly told to take a precious lamb, a spotless animal, and to sacrifice it to the Lord in the temple a constant reminder that they themselves were in need of God's forgiveness, in need of God's grace, but a constant reminder that God was so willing to give it so lavishly. The spilled blood of the animal offered by the priest was the means of God's people obtaining forgiveness of sin. And you see, for centuries, the sacrificial system of Israel prepared God's people to understand what the author of Hebrews says in verse nine, chapter 9, 22, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. 
Every one of us in here is in need of being delivered. Every one of us is in need of being rescued from our sin. Every one of us is in need of being forgiven for our sins. Every one of us, deep down inside, longs to be restored to a right relationship with God and to enjoy the very reason we were created, to enjoy our purpose in Him, to live for Him and with Him. And God is reminding us today on Good Friday that He has made a way. You see, all of these images and these rituals and rites, the Passover meal and the sacrificial system, they were always pointing forward to a person. It was never about the system itself. The sacrificing of those lambs never actually saved anybody. They just pointed to the lamb that would be slain to save the sinners in the world. I think of John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, He's out doing ministry and Jesus is coming into his ministry and he looks over and he sees Jesus walking towards him and do you remember what he says? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He looks at Jesus and instantly all this vivid imagery, everything that had been driven so deeply into his heart and mind comes into sight. He sees it all clearly. It was all pointing towards this moment, towards this person. Here he is, the one who will conquer sin completely. The perfect, spotless, unblemished lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And John picked up on the themes that are woven all the way through the scriptures, this picture of the lamb. I think of Isaiah 53, verse seven. We read from Isaiah 53 already, but let me read this verse. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Peter picks up on This language in the New Testament in 1 Peter 2, 23 and 24, and he says these words, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus' death has been understood from the very earliest moments of the Christian church as the new Passover. The very event that the Passover was pointing towards. In fact, Peter again in 1 Peter 1, 18, 19 says this. He says, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, listen to this, like the lamb, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The clearest connection made in the New Testament to the Passover is the one that the Apostle Paul makes in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. He says this, he says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Jesus, over 2,000 years ago, the night of his betrayal, he had arranged for his disciples to celebrate the Passover meal together in an upper room. John reminds us that Jesus himself knew in that moment that his time to depart from the world had come. And as he sat with his disciples around the table as they would celebrate the Passover meal like faithful Jews, 
he instructed them and he gave the, the Passover new significance. Really, he taught them that the Passover had actually been fulfilled in him and what he was about to do. He was teaching his disciples that what they celebrated over and over from ancient history has always pointed forward to what God was about to do in the greater Passover of the sins of his people. They were about to, in real time, witness the truest Passover there ever was. They were about to see the Lamb of God hanging upon a cross. Like that silent lamb, that silent lamb who walked, who did not open his mouth, he willingly went. He knew, he understood there was no other way that we could get to God unless he went through with the Father's plan and he did so willingly. He did not open his mouth. He did not fight back though. He is the Son of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And with a single word, he could have called down legions upon legions of angels. But he didn't. You know, today on Good Friday, we are reminded over and over again, anytime we look at the gospel, we're reminded, listen, that the horror of the cross, as horrific as it was, and it was horrific, is actually the very hope for the world. That apart from the cross, apart from its horror, apart from the tragedy of the cross itself, there is no hope for the world. There is no other plan. There is no other way. There's no method to get to God other than God's way. And that is through the cross of Jesus Christ. And the cross, the gospel of Jesus Christ reminds the cross of the fulfillment of the original Passover. It is God's plan to rescue, to deliver, and to reconcile his people back to himself. And so he took the bread as they sat around the table, the unleavened bread, and he told them that this was actually now a symbol and it was pointing towards his body which was about to be broken for them. He would give his body, his body would be broken, his back would be whipped time after time, his head would receive a crown of thorns. His wrist and his feet would be pierced through with nails. His side would be pierced with a spear. His body would be broken for them and for us. And he took the cup of wine and he told them that this was now representing his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of their sins. Remember the slain lamb, the blood, the life is in the blood. The perfect blood of the lamb was the very thing that had to wash them clean of all of their sin. From now on, he instructs them and he teaches them that the Passover meal would be celebrated as the Lord's Supper. You know, if you look at all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, As soon as they are finished celebrating the Passover meal, they go directly into the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus moves into that garden knowing that this will be the place where he will be betrayed with a kiss. This is the place that he will be arrested. And from here, he will be put on this mock trial. And eventually, knowing this, as he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he would be crucified and suffer a horrific death. 
But John, the, the gospel writer John, in his gospel, he presents Jesus as being sent to execution, interestingly, about the exact same time that the Passover lambs are being slaughtered in Israel. And you have to imagine the scene. Everybody's there. All the Jews come back to, to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. They've all got these little lambs in their houses, the, the pure, unblemished lambs. And at twilight, as the word of God had instructed them, every one of them would take that little lamb and they would slit its throat and drain its blood. And at that very moment, where thousands upon thousands of lambs were being killed all across Jerusalem, the Lamb of God was being slain. And the point is so obvious that it can't be missed that Jesus himself is the true Passover Lamb. That there on Calvary, he was slaughtered. All went dark, the Word of God tells us, as Jesus hung on the cross and in the darkness, Jesus was met by God himself. God showed up as the angel of death did on that first Passover. And God visited his firstborn son. And the horror of the cross isn't, listen, it's not just the excruciating physical pain. It is the spiritual reality of what took place in that moment, as difficult as this is to understand. God showed up and he poured out upon Jesus, the perfect spotless lamb, all of his wrath, his just anger towards sin. It was unleashed upon Jesus Christ. And what's so staggering is after Jesus had received the full weight of God's wrath for sin, with his final breath, he states these words, it is finished. And it is. In that moment, he drank every last drop of God's wrath against sin. In that moment, he accomplished the rescue for sinners. In that moment, he accomplished the deliverance for those who were in bondage and in slavery. In that moment, he accomplished the forgiveness of all those who would turn to him and place their faith in him as their perfect, spotless lamb. And if you are in Christ this morning, then you need to be reminded of these words. One pastor once said to his congregation, he said, God wrote your name in the blood of the lamb which was slain for you. And if you don't know Jesus, that statement can be said of you today too. If you're looking for freedom, if you're looking for rescue, if you're looking for deliverance, you have come to the right place. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God offers you today, if you are here and you're hearing this message, God says, listen, your sin, you deserve wrath and you deserve my judgment because of your sin, but today what you can have is rescue and freedom from your sin. In my grace, I have made a way. I have sent a perfect spotless lamb and I have slaughtered him to pay the price for your sins. If you turn from your sin today and look to Jesus, you can have the promise of forgiveness and freedom and you can be one of the saints in Revelation 5, who surrounds the throne and sings, worthy is the lamb who was slain.